Well, once again, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Crossroads. We're so glad you're here with us today. A very special welcome to those that are with us at our West Campus and uh, those watching with us online. Uh, like your host said, my name is Ross. I'm the high school pastor here at our New Bird Campus, and I'm so thrilled uh, to be here with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we're going to go. 2 Samuel chapter 11. 11. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to uh, also echo what your host told you about our Christmas services. Uh, the schedule looks a little bit different next week. Um, on Sunday, we have services at two and four at our Newburgh campus and at West. And then on Monday, Christmas Eve, we have services as well here at Newburgh uh, at two and four. And we hope to see you here for uh, those services. Um, we are in week three of our series, A Son is Given. And uh, in this series, really, we've been talking talking about the family tree of Jesus. In week one, we talked about the father of our faith, Abraham, as he and his wife, Sarah, had to wait for the promise of God on their life. And in uh, last week, Bill Altman did such an incredible job of talking to us about Ruth and how she had to really just hope in, in the promises of God as well. But Today, we're really going to be talking about probably a more popular character from the Bible. We're going to be talking about uh, King David. Now, this is the same David that defeated Goliath as a giant, but we're going to pick up the story today when the promise has actually already been fulfilled in David's life. He's already the king. He has it. He's there in the palace. But as you'll see in 2 Samuel today, that David really takes the promises of God and he makes a really big mess of them. This is what the Bible says, 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, in the spring, and this next part's really important, at, a, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. So they had a victory that day. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uri the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then he went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I and pregnant. If I had to give this message this morning a title, it would simply be this, Confessions of a Church Kid. Confessions of a Church Kid. Would you pray with me as we jump into our message this morning? Father, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful that we get to come here and we get to worship you and learn more about you and draw closer to you. God, I pray that you would help me to communicate your word clearly and effectively this morning. And Lord, we would leave our time together better than we started out today. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, I just wanna, I think I've asked this question before. I just wanna take a little bit of a survey so I can see who we're working with here this morning, whether you're watching uh, at our West Campus or here with us in Newburgh. How many of you would say that you grew up in church? You are a church kid. Okay, we have quite a few here at Newburgh. And uh, I, I, I'm very interested always to know that because I myself am a church kid through and through. I grew up in the church in North Carolina is where I'm originally from. And, and uh, man, some of my greatest childhood memories are from growing up in church. A lot of them 
because I was always involved in church. Really, I, I was in, in like our church's kids choir. And, and if I could just be honest, like I, man, I loved being in the kids choir. Actually, let me rephrase. I had to be in the kids choir. Um, my dad was dating our kids choir director at the time and she, they eventually got married and she became my stepmom. And so when it came to being involved in the churches, like plays and productions and in the choir, I didn't really have much of a choice in the matter. I, I, did, uh, I, 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 I did have a hard time being in the kids choir though. I, I just have to be honest. I, I just always felt it was kind of weird. Some of the songs that we sang. And if you grew up a church kid, you would know some of these like weird songs. Like how come we always were spelling things in songs like the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Or if you're a church kid, you know this one immediately when I say it. I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-A-S-T-I-A-N, right? We're always spelling things. We were singing songs that made fun of short people, okay? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. My dad is five foot four, and he does not appreciate that song. Um, or there was, a, there was a, just a gospel classic that went just like this. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Whoa, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Oh, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Take that, Brie. <laughs> Think you can sing. I got a gift. They won't let me lead worship, so I just gotta do it right here in the sermon. <laughs> the Lord gave me a gift. They won't let me use it. Um, I, I just remember <laughs> there were some things, though, that I did enjoy about being in the kids' choir, okay? Um, because whenever we would have a play or a big production coming up, my stepmom, our choir director, she would hand out to all of the kids our own individual cassette tape. And it was our job to take that tape home, listen to all those songs, and be ready to come back the next week to know our part and be able to, to practice the, the musical or the production or whatever we were doing. Now, I always loved it when we got a brand new cassette tape but probably not for the reason you may expect. It's because every 90s kid knows there was a secret trick you could do with these non-commercial cassette tapes, okay? You could actually take that cassette tape, go home, put it in your stereo, turn on the radio, and when the song came on that you really wanted to hear, you could press record and play at the same time and record the song that was on the radio onto that cassette tape. I did this for years, okay? I collected all my choir tapes and I had them up on my dresser, you know, all with secular music on it. I was a church kid. I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music. So I kept this a secret from my parents. My stepmom, she would come into my room sometimes, see me listening to music with my headphones on and say, Ross, what are you listening to? I pull out salty singing songbook, you know, and she's thinking to herself, golly gee. Ross, amen. You're practicing your part. What she didn't know is I was listening to Usher. <laughs> Truth is though, I, I, um, I, I couldn't blame my stepmom, right? Because on the outside, it really did look like I was practicing my part. But on the inside, I was listening to music I didn't want her to know about. There was another song that we used to sing though when I was growing up in, in church and it, it went a little bit like this. It was a song that kind of weirded me out. It, it went a little bit like this. It went, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little eyes what you see. 
For there's a father up above who is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Pretty catchy, huh? Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little hands, what you do. For there's a father up above who is looking down in love. So be careful, little hands, what you do. Right? It always kind of scared me. Because it's like, wait, God is always watching me. He's always looking like Jesus. I need some privacy. I do have to go to the bathroom every once in a while, you know. But the song in its intent was not meant to scare me. In fact, it was, it was meant to teach me a very important lesson that maybe some of us need to be reminded of this morning. That you can never have a public victory unless you are first having a private one. It doesn't matter how good you look when you step into church. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you know by memory. It does not matter what you think you may be pulling off. You may be winning publicly, but friend, if you are not winning privately, you are not winning at all. And I've just got a feeling that maybe, just maybe, there are some of us in here this morning, maybe watching online, maybe at our West Campus, you're treating your life a lot like I was treating those cassette tapes. That on the outside, it looks all put together. It's all good. It's, it's very Christian. It looks like church. But on the inside, there's guilt and there's shame and there's parts of your life that you'd be ashamed of if anybody found out about. It's where we live our lives like we do our social media accounts, where we're showing our best and we're hiding the rest. Really, this isn't the life that God has called us to live at all. It's when we, I call it, <laughs> I call it doing Halloween church, where we, we live life with the mask on. One of the biggest problems I think we have in Christianity today is not that we have flawed people, but in fact that we have flawed people that are unwilling to admit that they are flawed. Yet my prayer for our church, my prayer for the church, is that we would be a part of the great unmasking of this world, where we don't have to wear the mask anymore. The day should be over, where we have to present the, the pretty, put-together, perfect version of ourselves, because that isn't who Jesus came for. He didn't come to minister to your mask or through your mask. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is guilt, no, there's shame, no. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What does that mean for you and I today? It means because of Jesus, because a son was given for us, we have every right, every right to put down everything we used to be, all of our sin, our shame, our guilt, and pick up everything that God now has for us. That's true freedom, true transparency, true grace, and salvation and eternal life. Are you thankful this morning that we have a God who came for us so we don't have to be fake anymore. We don't have to wear the mask anymore. We can be our true selves. And maybe, just maybe, we'll make a difference being our true self. I've said this before, that people will identify with your pain much more than they will your perfection. Some of us today, we've been wearing the mask for way too long. If you look back on the story of David, I really think that David was a lot like a church kid, wasn't he? He grew up in a Christian home, right? A family of faith. He was called at an early age. 
He became somewhat of a child prodigy as he defeats a giant that everyone else was scared of and becomes famous because of it. He was a worshiper. He was a songwriter, man. He wrote songs that we see now as psalms that we read in the Bible. And now, as time has gone on, he went through some tough years, but now the promise has been fulfilled. Here you have him, King David, shepherd boy now in the palace, great man of God, a winner in the eyes of the public. But on this day, David would lose in private. There are three things that I believe we can observe from this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 when it talks about David. Three things about David's life. And they're the three points of my message this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this first one down. Isolation will bring devastation. Isolation will bring devastation. It's interesting to note that 2 Samuel chapter 11, it starts out by saying, at a time where kings go off to war, David stayed at home. Why is that interesting? Because David is the king. David should have been off at war. He should have been on the battlefield leading. He should have been with his men. He should have been side by side with his brothers, but he chose to stay at home. He chose to be isolated and you can tell. You ever seen, this happens in every single scary movie. You ever seen this before? There's a killer on the loose. Everyone's running for their life. They're in a group, everybody's running, you know, and they finally get to a place where they can hide or they stop and everybody gathers around and, and one guy has this brilliant idea. Guys, I got an idea. You know what we need to do? We need to split up. And what are we doing? We're on the other side of the screen screaming at them, no! No, you don't. That's the worst idea ever. And sure enough, what do they do? They split up, they get isolated. One girl goes out into the woods somewhere just to sort of like float around and then she gets chopped up. You're like, ah, I told you. We're screaming at the screen thinking these people are so silly. How could they possibly do this? How could they get so isolated? But the truth is, I wonder if heaven feels the same way about us when we isolate ourselves. You know that Satan would want nothing more than for you to be isolated so that he can go in for the kill? We need friends on this faith journey. We need community. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, no, I don't need anybody, I got this, I'm good. I'm good by myself. I just tell you that it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time, sir, who is too spiritually mature to receive any godly counsel from any of your friends. It's just a matter of time, young lady, who's in a relationship with that boy you know you have no business being in a relationship with. It's just a matter of time, sir, who wants to do the will of God but spends way too much time home alone in front of a computer with no accountability. It is only a matter of time because there will come a time in your life where your flesh wants to rage against the will of God, no matter how spiritual you are. And in those moments, who do you turn to? Who do you have in your life? Who's gonna hold you accountable to who you said you wanted to be? For so many people, I see this all the time. We wonder why we wreck our lives. It's because it's too easy to wreck your life. 
You have no accountability set up. You have no friends in the faith. And you wonder why you keep having the same struggle, same struggle, same struggle. Listen, a struggle is not a struggle if you continue to tolerate it. For some of us, it's way too easy to wreck our lives. I remember when I was 20 years old, I had spent about two years of my life just sort of drifting from God. Not really running from God. I I was just, I felt like I was just sort of drifting. It's funny, when you drift, you can barely even tell. But I was in a relationship I shouldn't have been in. I was hanging out with people I shouldn't have been with. I was putting myself in situations I should not have been in. And finally, I had a good, godly friend in my life who confronted me, thank God. And he asked me a question, I'll never forget this. He said, Ross, how much longer are you gonna run from the call of God on your life? Man, that hit me hard. I remember that day, I'll never forget it. I changed a lot of things. I got out of that relationship. I got rid of those friends. I stopped putting myself in situations where I knew I was set up to fail. And instantly I saw God start working in ways I had never seen him work before. And would you believe just a month later, I met a young lady named Nikki Parola who would one day become Nikki Langston. And my wife and I, I'll never forget this. When we first started talking and hanging out and getting to know one another, we were just building a friendship. And and, and obviously, you know, Nikki wanted to be more than friends with me, but (laughs) I said, pump the brakes, young lady. Um, But as we, we, we got to know each other, right? And we were just building a friendship. The truth is I, I realized something really quickly that if I ever wanted to be with somebody like Nikki, I was gonna have to raise my standards. I was gonna have to start protecting myself in a whole new way. I saw how God was moving in her life and I wanted the same for mine. And I knew I was gonna have to step things up. Without her even knowing it, she became accountability in my life. She started challenging me, she was changing me, she was pushing me, she was making me better, she was making me grow up, she was making me mature. Now there's some single people in the room or maybe you're listening right now and you're thinking to yourself, I knew it. You're right, Ross, I just need to find me a man. Mm-hmm. No, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. Listen, what, what I mean is we all need friends in our life that will hold us to who we said we wanted to be. That when you feel like giving up, when you feel like giving in, they say, no, 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 remember the promise of God that's on your life. Remember who you said you were gonna be. Remember that we said we were gonna say no to these things. And yes to these things. Friends, do you know this is why we do church? This is why we talk about small groups all the time because you need people. This is why we have church. Do you know that there are much more efficient ways to get you sermons and good music? Like we could just send you stuff and you could stay at home. We don't come here every single week just to hear music and hear sermons. There's much better communicators out there than me. (laughs) But here's the thing. The Bible actually says, don't neglect the gathering of the saints. Translation, don't think that you don't need community. We don't come here every single week to sing Christian karaoke and then walk out those doors so we can feel better about ourselves. No, we come here every single week united and as one to remind ourselves that no matter what we are in, we are in this thing together and we are better when we are together. We are stronger when we are together. God is with us when we are together. And this, is his pl- this has been his plan all along that you don't do life alone, that you don't live 
life isolated. Because living life isolated will lead to devastation in your life. We see this take place in David's life. Point number two of my message is this. Your cover-up will eventually blow up. I like this one. Your cover-up will eventually blow up. In middle school, I'm going to confess something to you. I had a little bit of a lying problem. I, um, I don't know how it came up in conversation one day, you know, but I, I said it, it just came out. I couldn't control it. And then I had to keep, you know, the lie going. I had to cover it up. I had convinced all my friends that I was a black belt in karate. And, um, and to be honest, as time went on, I kind of forgot all about it. I forgot about my own lie, you know, until one day I remember I was at basketball practice and me and this guy named Casey, he was much bigger, much stronger than me. We got into a little bit of an argument. I maybe pushed Casey. He maybe pushed a little bit harder and I maybe fell down on the floor. When I did, it created a little bit of a stir, right? Our friends started to gather around and they're thinking to themselves, ooh, Casey, you messed up. I'm like, yeah, that's right, Casey, you just messed up. They said, ooh, Casey, you're in trouble now. I said, yeah, that's right, Casey, you're in trouble now. They said, yeah, you probably didn't know this, Casey, but Ross is a black belt in karate. I was like, yeah, Casey, Ross is a, wait, what? (laughs) I started to realize, oh no, I forgot about my lie, I forgot about my cover up, you know? I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a black belt. You know, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm hoping he's just gonna back down. He, uh, he didn't. He, um, <laughs> he picked me up, slung me around and threw me across the gym floor, right? I had really bad floor burns. Um, afterwards, my friend were like, Ross, why didn't you do anything? You know, I thought you were a black belt. You know, I'm like, I, you know, I, I, uh, I didn't want to embarrass him, you know. (laughs) Quickly, they found out that my cover-up was just a cover-up. It was was a lie. What's the moral of the story? Don't let yourself get caught in a fight and let people realize you were a fake. This is exactly what happens with David, isn't it? He's supposed to be the king, a royal guy, a man of God. But he makes a mistake. sleeps with somebody who's not his wife. In fact, she's married to somebody else who's at war where he should be, and he tries to cover it up. As the story continues in 2 Samuel chapter 11, this is what David does, and just for time's sake, I'm gonna paraphrase it. He has this idea, I'm gonna cover this thing up by calling Uriah, her husband, home from war, and maybe he'll come home and sleep with his wife. It doesn't work. Uriah refuses to sleep with his wife because his men, his brothers, are out at war. He's a better king than the king. Then David has this idea, okay, well, that's not gonna work. Maybe I can get him drunk and maybe then he'll sleep with his wife. That idea still doesn't work. So now to cover that lie up, now he has to come up with something else. And this is what he comes up with in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. David has the audacity. He cares so much about his reputation, his appearance now, he's willing to put another man to death to save face. What's he doing? He's trying to erase his error. He's trying to mask his mistake. Friends, isn't this exactly what we do? We think if I could just cover it up, 
No one will ever know. If I can just delete my browsing history, if I can just keep the secret, but at the end of the day, you'll still be left with yourself. And you're only as healthy as your darkest secret. All David needed to do was get on his knees and ask for forgiveness. But he's more worried about keeping up with appearances. He's more worried about his reputation. And the story just keeps getting worse and worse. Sure enough, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, goes to war and dies. His plan works, but now a man's blood is on his hands. And the idea of knowing what he did is on his heart. He takes Bathsheba as his own wife, again, still trying to cover the thing up. So that it looks like, oh, they just had a kid all along. But then what ends up happening is she has a son and the son dies. The whole story is riddled with tragedy. So what does he do now? Here you have him, King David, great man of God, Shepherd boy now in the palace, a man of such promise, a winner in the eyes of the public. But deep down, he knows he's a fake. What does he do now? What could he possibly do? He really only has one option, which leads me to point three of the message. God can heal it when you reveal it. God can heal it when you reveal it. Truth is, I've never done well with lying. I'm not a good liar. I never have been. Maybe it's because I grew up a church kid and I was always taught, don't lie. Honestly, I'd like to think it's because I had a really great father. I had a really good dad. He's the kind of dad I could just never lie to. I don't know what it was, man. I just didn't do well with guilt. Here's the thing, whenever I would come and confess something to my dad, whenever I would reveal something to him, I always found two things to be true. Number one, I always felt better. And number two, he always forgave me. After nine months of covering up his sin, David is confronted by a friend, his secret, must not have been that much of a secret. His cover-up must have at some point blown up because his friend Nathan knew about his secret. Nathan confronts David about his sin, about what he's done. And finally, David realizes he has no other option. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Watch the immediate reply. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Nine months of lying. Nine months of covering this thing up. Nine months of being shackled in a prison he built for himself. And then it goes away in an instant. You know, when I was in my kids' choir growing up in church, sometimes after a big player production, we would, uh, we would always go somewhere fun. Like they'd take all the kids to a place that we really wanted to go to. Sometimes we'd go to like Pizza Hut, you know, sometimes we'd go bowling. 
But one of my favorite places we ever went was the best place on earth, Chuck E. Cheese. I remember what I love so much about Chuck E. Cheese is that you could go, you could get like a hot dog, you know, and then go down the line. You could get whatever topping you wanted on your hot dog. Or you could go through the ice cream aisle, like you could go get ice cream and you could go down the row and you could get whatever topping you wanted on your ice cream. I remember one time in particular, we went after a production and, and I'm there with a friend and I got my chocolate ice cream. I go down the, the aisle. I, pull down the lever and I get my gummy bears, you know. My friend is right next to me. He had vanilla ice cream. He's pulling down the lever because he wants Skittles, but I don't know, somehow he, he chose the wrong one and, and out came mustard. And there in his vanilla ice cream, he has mustard, you know. He's, he's sitting there and he kind of looks around real quick and wanting to hide his mistake, wanting to cover up his mess up, sort of ashamed of what he had done. About that time, one of the workers came by and said, hey bud, want me to get you a new bowl? My friend, just ashamed of what he had done, you know, at nine, 10 years old, just with tears welling up in his eyes. No, took a spoon and just began to stir it. And what was once this, this pure white vanilla ice cream sort of became this pale mush. And I watched my friend just continue to stir, just trying to cover his mistake. He couldn't get rid of it. Mustard is not a shy condiment, it will not go away. My question, for you this morning is this. Have you ever been there? I know that I have. Where I make a mistake, I made the wrong choice and I've taken this pure thing that God gave me, my pure life and I, I made a mess of it. Ashamed of what I've done, I look around, make sure nobody can see, and I, I try to cover it up, I try to hide it. And then God says, do you wanna give, you wanna give it up and just, I can give you a brand new start, a, a fresh bowl. I look back up and I say, no, I, I'd rather, I'd rather try to fix it myself. I, 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 can, I can cover this thing up, I can make it go away but I've stirred and I've stirred and I've tried my church things. I've read the Bible, I've done devotionals, I've showed up every single week. I've put on the church clothes, I've tried to act right, I tried to get rid of it and I just, it doesn't matter how much I stir, I can't get it to go away. My mistake, my addiction, my flaw, my problem, I just, why won't it go away? And it's in those moments when I come to the end of myself and I'm just so exhausted, I'm so tired from striving and trying to fix it myself that I realize this is why a son was given, that God came for the broken bowls. He came to give you a fresh start. 
to give you a new beginning. When you couldn't fix it yourself, he says, give your broken bowl to me and I'll give you back a new one. With every head bowed and every eye closed here in this room at Newburgh and at our West Campus, if you're here watching with us online or at our West Campus, I, I just wanna say at this time, I'm gonna hand things over to your host. They're gonna take, take things from here. But if you're here at our Newburgh campus, again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I just believe maybe there are two groups of people here this morning. The first group of people you would say, yeah, I I'm a Christian, or at least I grew up that way, or I have been for a while and kind of just fallen off track taken the life I once had and I, I made a mess of it. I've made some mistakes and I just can't cover it up anymore. I'm just tired. And today I, I want a fresh start. If that's you and you're here in this room, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you want a fresh start this morning. I'm just gonna ask that you would just raise your hand right where you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. The second group of people I believe maybe are here again with every head bowed. I just, I just think maybe there's a group of people here that you would say, Ross, I've, I've never really given my life to Jesus. I've never made him my Lord and Savior. And if he was to come back right now, like the Bible said he could at any moment, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I, I don't know if I'd be in heaven or not. And today you wanna make sure, today you wanna give your life to Jesus. If that's you and you're here in this room, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Come on, don't let this moment pass, thank you. As soon as you lift it, you can put it right back down. I'm gonna ask at this time that everyone in the room would stand from the front to the back, left to right. Everyone stand in the room for me, please. And if you would, just, just bear with me for a moment. We're gonna keep every head bowed, every eye closed. Just, we're gonna maintain this moment right here. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If that was you and, and you raised your hand, for either one of those moments, or maybe you didn't. And right now you're wishing you had, you're still gonna have an opportunity. Because here in just a moment, we're gonna go into a time of worship. And when we begin to sing, I'm gonna ask that you would step out of your seat and come forward to the front of the stage. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray together. We're gonna solidify your eternity today. You can receive forgiveness today, and I promise you, you will be freer than you've ever been. You may say, why do I gotta, why, why do I gotta step out of my seat and come, come down? Because Jesus didn't have to, but he stepped out of heaven and he came down to earth for you. 
He went public for you and today we're gonna boldly go public for him. And trust me, if you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't know, I don't know. Will I be the only one? You will not be the only one. There were several hands that went up, several hands that were raised. And we are a church family. We are in this thing together. I'm gonna count to three. And when I say three, we're gonna begin to sing. And if that was you, when I say three, step out of your seat and come forward, receive forgiveness, receive freedom, receive a fresh start today. One, Jesus loves you. He died and rose again for you. Two, the Bible says that the time for salvation is right now. Three, if that's you, step out of your seat as we begin to sing. Come on.